Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? A comics podcast for the Savage Critics website. Our cliffhanger resolves as Graham McMillan and I discuss our view of Whedon's work post-Buffy the TV show. Then we answer questions uh, submitted in real time on Twitter concerning criticism in the industry. Mark Wade's comments at the Harvey Awards, the possible future of Vertigo and Wildstorm, Batman 702, our five favorite monthlies, and so much more, it shocks even us. We hope you enjoy it, and thanks for listening. Uh, I want to try something very quickly before I launch into anything else. Yes. Um, it is, as we record this, 6 or 7 p.m. on Monday the 30th of August. That's right. Just to date this for in case we get it up late, people like then. Um, I'm really tempted, and tell me if this is a bad idea or not, to say on Twitter that people should ask us questions. Yeah, that sounds like a great idea because we've got this Whedon thing, and then yeah, I've I thought that that would be great. You should totally do that now. I'm doing that as we speak. Fabulous. No, I kind of had that same thing of like, yeah, 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 we should definitely do the the live speaker, you know, the the live question and interview thing on Twitter and see what happens. I was thinking that would be awesome. Uh, on the other good. hand, I was very impressed at how much material we were able to put into our first one, hour. Oh, well, apparently you get us talking and we just talk. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's true, but I kind of had to worry, particularly, um, you know, the the episodes that I edited and sent your way. I'm, I like them qu- quite a bit. I don't know if you've had a chance, chance to check them out. I have not had a chance to listen to them, but again, I'm just going to give my go-ahead because you have not steered me wrong yet. Woohoo! That's great. Um, and, uh, yeah, no, I, I think think we're in a pretty good rhythm at this point. But but there was that one conversation where, like, we talked, we had a great talk, but I was like, wow, the bulk of this is Jack Kirby and Grant Morrison. Yes. And it kind of was like that. <laughs> like an hour and a half, that's all we talked about. <laughs> and so uh, when I think uh, it was uh, Ben Lipman or whoever, whomever it was who, who said the very nice comments about, like, yeah, you guys should do it longer and more frequently. And I'm like... Yeah, I hope we can do that. I'm half worried that the more time that we spend like doing this and the less time we have like, reading like comics, like we'll just end up talking about Jack Kirby and Grant Morrison for hours and hours and hours and hours. Wait, what? More Jack Kirby and Grant Morrison? <laughs> hey, but before we talk about Jack Kirby and Grant Morrison, I'm going to do my Joss Whedon rant, which is actually very short. Oh, well, we can counter rant, and that will give us a little bit more time, and then hopefully you'll have some questions by that point. It'll be really funny if no one does it, because no it's 6 o'clock. People just know your Twitter at this point. Anyway, that is totally true. I think we should Joss Whedon's. Or I think at some point, Joss Whedon entirely lost his nerve and became an entirely different writer. Because the Joss Whedon that's around now, the Joss Whedon that did um, Astonishing X-Men, Joss Whedon that did um, Dollhouse, mm-hmm. the one who did Serenity... Is nowhere near as subtle. Is much more reliant on shock tactics. Is much more reliant on killing characters and or having characters act out of characters for the drum, mm-hmm. um, and on playing on your expectations. But either by having characters entirely fulfil your expectations or entirely um, go the opposite direction, right? Um, than he ever was in say the first X number of years of Buffy. Or, or Angel, for that matter. I, I honestly think that at some point he became far too aware of, I don't know if it's his own fame or something, but mm-hmm. he started second-guessing himself as a writer, and 
his work suffered. Interesting. Well, my 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 theory is on the one hand, Whedon has always worked well as kind of the kind of a, a perfect guy who came out of the Hollywood system in a way. If you look at those first few seasons of Buffy, one of the things that struck me rewatching them is like, oh my god, he's always got to have the Act Three twist. Like, and and at seasons two and three, it's just chock full of you think one thing, and then in the last act, it's entirely different. Like, you know, it's like, oh, we thought it was Jonathan who was the killer. In fact, it's somebody else. Like, oh, we thought it was so-and-so who had the thing. In fact, that, you know, that demon isn't trying to help us and we're killing the wrong guy. You know, there's always that last act twist type stuff. And he's very good at it. And um, my theory is that I think that, I don't think that Whedon lost his nerve. I think that Whedon to me ended up believing his own hype and pretty much is kind of like a no this works because I says it because I say it does you know no these characters act this way because I say they do and I created them this way like there's a very to me once he comes back even even in um, because I didn't watch Firefly when it was coming out and I only saw it much later in fact I saw it after watching Serenity um I went back, you know, the first couple of tones are have this incredible thing that, that happens all throughout the last season of Buffy where, um, you know, Mal blatantly says, You're do- everyone does this because I'm the guy in charge, and if you don't like it, I will shoot you into space now. And that's pretty much everything that comes out of Buffy's mouth. The entire last season of Buffy is... Buffy saying, I'm the leader, the leader makes the decisions, you have to follow me, whether you think they're right or not, because I'm the leader. And there's kind of a little bit of, like, you swap out leader and you swap in creator. Or I, I was going to say what you're saying that, because also in the Buffy comic, mm-hmm. a, a large portion of it is how heavily that weighs in Buffy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. No. Her. Her. Yeah. She is the. She's. She's definitely the leader. And it is actually always one of the things I find fascinating about Buffy that, that when I did rewatch the DVD box sets is um, the first time I watched the last two seasons of Buffy, I just assumed that at that point the writers hated Sarah Michelle Gellar and and therefore kind of hated Buffy and just made her as unlikable as possible because they did not like that character at all. Um and rewatching them in the DVDs, one of the things I realized is like, no, Whedon is actually crafting a character that is like following through this idea of like, you're this person who ends up being special. What ends up happening to you? And and the gist of it is at a certain point, you do think of yourself as separate from other people and is better than other people and you try not to but you're trying not to is a weird overcompensating for it and you know it ends up and it ends up going down this weird kind of and random route in a way where um it seems from what i remember of the comics a lot of people going no 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 but it's okay because you're special you have to be the way that you're being because you're you, you are better than everyone else and you should act that way. And if you don't act like you're better than everyone else, you're just going to screw everyone up 
you're going to screw everything up because you're not embracing your destiny or your legacy or all that sort of stuff. You know what I mean? Well, that, 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 that makes me want to ask, what do you think about the Twilight quote-unquote reveal? Hmm. I don't, I mean, we've all years enough to realize what had happened at that point in the series and, and the, the uh, I don't want to say subtext because it's text, but, but the, the flip side of Buffy being Buffy. Like, was, was that made clear enough in the issues they read? Uh, um, when, when, <laughs> well, I'm, I'm just making sure I'm following you. You mean the idea that, um, that, that when Angel reveals himself to be Twilight and that his whole thing is kind of this further extension of, like, you are super special and we have to bring in a new age kind of thing, you mean? Yes, but also what happened just prior to that, which is, Buffy has superpowers because she's essentially taking powers from dead people. Oh, that part I did not know. That okay. is actually something. That's the that reason she has superpowers is revealed. Mm-hmm. Um, that when all the when slayers die, she gets their increased power, and so that is why she has superpowers. Because lots of slayers are dying, mm-hmm. um, and so there's like a, a literal, you know, subtext is made to text, but. It's, she is literally becoming more special than the special people. But also mm. that being leader has this visible toll on her. Mm. I don't know if toll is the right way of putting it, you know, but but because she is the leader, she is, has this extra responsibility. Um but also, yeah, Angel comes out and essentially says, You are so special. Right. Yeah, we are going to start this whole new age of humanity and right. reality even mm-hmm. uh, but she she turns it down mm-hmm. so I mean what where does that fit in I don't know that that is a good question I mean one of the things that I liked about the part that I you know that I found the last se- season seven on TV pretty interminable but the part that I did like was the kind of was the finale where she's like where she basically like I'm going to cheat the rules like everyone's a slayer now like there's no reason why it has to just be me and I kind of liked where that went and I hope that they're going that way where the idea of everyone telling Buffy that she's special is something that she eventually is has to move through but um but what bothered me is is for a long time it looked like Whedon as Buffy and Whedon as, you know, Mal and Firefly very much had this thing of this is this is the way that it is because I say so. And and there was a lot of you know, Dollhouse really had that thing of like the episodes that I watched didn't work. And there was kind of this thing of like, no, 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 they work. And if they don't work for you, they're going to work better at a certain point. And then, it, and then when that episode came around, everyone was like, wow, this is so much better now that, you know, they, they had all the stuff rolling forward with what's his name. But I jumped off by that point. Cause I was like, I, I just didn't have enough faith in this guy that, that the faith in himself that he had, um, I, I just didn't match. See, that's interesting because I especially think by Dollhouse, I think any faith that he was presenting in himself on Dollhouse was fake. Um, I think Dollhouse was quite clearly someone coming up against something they could not write their way through. 
And I know, I know that a lot of people have said, you know, it's Fox. And it, to the extent Sweden even said that himself at San Diego. But mm-hmm. I'm not sure it is. I don't think it is either. I, I, I think Whedon came... I think Dollhouse was Whedon's ambition in outstripping his talent. And I think he's an so. incredibly talented writer. But mm-hmm. I think what he wanted to do with Dollhouse, he couldn't do. No. Uh, yeah, I, and I think I that even the episodes that people say, you know, that really worked on Dollhouse, they were still really... I don't want to say creepy because a lot of people think that's a compliment when you're talking about Dollhouse. Or like, it's supposed to be creepy, it's about prostitution. And it's like, yeah, but it's creepy in the wrong way. Dollhouse was an incredibly problematic show in part because it had this viewpoint of, well, it's prostitution, of course it's creepy, and brainwashing, that's creepy, it should be creepy. But it was it bought in so entirely to the things that it was supposed to be satirizing that it was incredibly problematic to me. Right. It, it was, it was, um, do you read, uh, I think his name is Colin Salmon, the, the guy who's, who's now doing the book on Mark Miller for Seacard. Uh, uh, no, I don't think I. I don't think he I, he, I, he, I, do, he does wonderful blog entry about how Batman and Robin is torture porn, and it's not even torture porn in a sarcastic way. It's literally just torture porn, <laughs> and it is it is the thing that people it has become the thing that it theoretically is reacting against. And right. I think Dollhouse did the same thing. Mm-hmm. I think Dollhouse became the very thing that it thought it was reacting against, and mm-hmm. I think it did so so quickly and so effortlessly that. I don't think Joss Whedon has yet realized how much of it it was. I mean, Doll, Doll, for all the people who talk about Dollhouse being feminist, Dollhouse was appallingly sexist. Right. I mean, stunningly so. It, mm. it was it continually just swapped out one idea of um, a female ideal for another. Mm-hmm. At no point was any character. At no point did any character display anything regarding resembling like a genuine human emotion the dolls are the regular people and no point does anyone do anything other than act to their pre-described role right um and it just it's an incredibly problematic show for me and the idea that on any level that joss whedon could think that there was part of it that was a success Mm-hmm. makes me concerned that he is missing what really made it a failure. Well, I, it wouldn't surprise me because I really felt that the last season of Buffy actually is, well, actually, as, as it ramps up, the amount of violence against Buffy becomes darker and and more arguably misogynistic. Um, you know, and I mean, that's while Marty Noxon is showrunner, the stuff that is going on where she is, you know, where Spike is raping her or trying to rape her, and yet they're still moving into some sort of sexual situations, seems incredibly, um, like, weirdly, uh, what's the word? Um... It, it, it seems weirdly pre-feminist. It, it seems like stuff right out of Soap Opera 101, where like, oh, so-and-so, you know, like Luke and Laura of General Hospital, so-and-so gets raped, but she still falls in love with this character anyway. Or the rapist is actually a, 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 an incredibly complicated, you know, painfully hurt individual, you know, um, who's very tortured, you know. And by, in season seven, by the time um, Nathan Fillion comes on as... 
this sort of pastiche from uh you know Robert of Robert Mitchum's character from Night of the Hunter where he's playing this um you know woman killing preacher like the scenes where he's driving around like that his first appearance in fact where there's a woman in the car and he begins talking about how he's going to torture her and kill her is in is incredibly dark and is not like, I mean, I know that they're, you know, they're very quick to play the, well, we want our bad guys to be bad, bad guys. Um, but there's a, a lot of, of the yuck, the ooh, yucky factor really picks up. I think for me on, on the last two seasons of Buffy, um, particularly as she becomes a less and less likable character in addition to that. Mm. Um, that it doesn't necessarily surprise me in a way that um, by the time you get to Dollhouse, you get very creepy characters who are controlling the dolls, and there's, there's, they're not necessarily... I mean, I didn't watch the show enough to know. You're supposed to feel slightly uneasy about them, but the degree to which... The degree to which the show takes as a given, well, of course these people enjoy their position. You know what I mean? Seems really weird to me. Like, maybe that's the way that it's a given for the 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 themes of the show. But considering the show itself, considering Dollhouse itself functions as, like you said, it's not just prostitution. It's also Hollywood. You know, it's also the dolls are actors and actresses and the company are the writers and the directors who put them in the situations and create the the backstories for these people, you know, that essentially put the words and thoughts in their heads um, and are really screwed up people. But, you know, it's just naturally assumed like, oh, yeah, well, of course, because, you know, why wouldn't they be? It seems weirdly creepy to me. But again, I'm somebody who literally didn't make it past the first two episodes of Dollhouse. I'm just fascinated that there's very few people that really seem to talk about it besides you. Maybe because everyone else just jumped off the uh, off the wagon and you were forced to, to ride that wagon out, out to the very end. <laughs> well, no, I, I, no one forced me apart from myself. Do you know? I mean, mm-hmm. I was not covering it Friday night. In fact, I was explicitly told not to cover it Friday night after part because I was in such disagreement with you were harshing everyone's mellow i guess i I, no, i was i mean i i literally was asked not to write about the show wow um and you know that's that's here or there so but i mean like i wasn't it wasn't a i'm doing this for my job Mm -hmm. it was a i'm not sure i could look away part do you know what i mean Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. it it was a weirdly hypnotic complete clusterfuck and it, it was it's one of those things that remains people i know and people i respect have such different opinions mm-hmm. that i still kind of think that maybe i'm misreading it somehow mm. maybe maybe i mean i don't know you know sometimes these things work for uh for some and um and not for others you know what i mean like maybe we're both too um I don't know what's what's the our comfort zone is is just uh, traditional or we're just too vanilla, Graham. Maybe we're just too vanilla. That's it. That's exactly what I was thinking. Really? <laughs> no. <laughs> Damn it! I was like, oh, perfect conclusion. We agree on something. 
shit. But um, no, I just, it, I don't know. It, it's, I, I honestly feel that Dollhouse in, actually Dollhouse in a lot of ways, I feel was uh, a turning point for Whedon. I remember uh, seeing Whedon at San Diego this year, talking to J.J. Abrams, mm-hmm. and genuinely feeling that he's learned from that experience a lot. Mm. Um, and I'm very curious to see what he does with Avengers. Yeah, I'll be curious too. I'll be curious too. You know, I mean, it's hard because I can't think of a, a, a larger, you know, horse-sized poison pill to have to try and swallow than Avengers in a way. I can't. I see 99 million ways that it can turn out wrong and very few ways that it can turn out right. But I, I'm really hoping that I'm... I, I hope that they come up with the right one, obviously. That said, do you want to get to... I notice we've got some questions. God bless. I, I see two. Do you see others? No, I, I, all I see is Tater Pies and the lovely James Mascent. So, Ask away. I, in fact, let the, what are the best moments of the industry criticizing itself? Take that one, Jeff, because I'm not sure what to do with it. <laughs> uh, all right, let me see here. Uh, let me make sure. What are the best moments of the industry... Uh, what are the best moments of the industry criticizing itself? I don't know. It's such a, it's such, it's such a question where I'm like, is she making fun of us? Like, it's it's really funny because I don't, of course, know, I, I don't I don't think she is. I don't I, I know think, Amy, I but I assume she's not. So, yeah. Yeah, I think she's genuinely just asking the question. The thing is, I'm not entirely sure what the answer is. Right. Because, because I mean, how do you, in what sense, criticizing itself? I mean, is this a callback to Busek thing? Right. Do you do you want to? You could tweet her a follow up. Like, could you I could, verify? Because but... <laughs> no, I, 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 I let's doing... go. Okay. Right. Um. Okay. Well, I would have to say the best moments of the industry criticizing itself are for me when, as a result of the criticism, you end up with things that are, you know, better than they would be before. So, for example, let's take, I, I think that there was a lot of great storytelling in Marvel's Girl Comics miniseries that we wouldn't have seen otherwise, like it was kind of hit or miss in some ways, but I really think that there were some some really interesting stories and also some really interesting art that was put in the proper context in a way. It's like, okay, you're picking up an anthology, you specifically know kind of what you're getting in terms of the spin. And so there's ways in which some of the storytelling is very traditional and some of the storytelling, some of the art is incredibly odd. Um, but it all, you you never would have seen some of those, some of those things would have never have seen the light of day if it hadn't been for that project. Um, and you wouldn't have had those wonderful Colleen Coover introductions without that, that project. So I'm super happy about that. See, whereas I was taking it as um, literal, literal moments where the industry as or people within the industry have taken it upon themselves to criticize other people in the industry, and I was going to say only slightly sarcastically that any time uh, Mark Miller starts talking about why he's doing whatever project, I always find that fascinating in terms of how he views the industry. Same as when I hear Bendis respond to criticism that is not actually been said. Yeah, I mean, that's, I think my problem with the industry for the most part is is that it doesn't criticize itself enough. Like, there's just not enough. Well, I think the industry is incredibly satisfied with itself. Yeah. Um, 
Uh, that's not really true. I think the industry is very satisfied with the part of the industry it is involved in. I think it's very easy for people to criticize parts that they're not involved in, mm-hmm. uh, but have a sort of, I mean, I'm, I'm, I just go after Marvel people. Um, I <laughs> really, I, I think it's, I think reading interviews with editorial or creators from Marvel, I think you will find very often that they are entirely oblivious to problems for themselves. Mm-hmm. but more than happy to talk smack about other people. Oh, yeah. Uh, no, that, that, that's certainly true. And, and I think that I think that it's really rare for for good reason for creators to do what Kurt Music did. Yes. Like, actually genuinely talk about ge- real concerns they have for fear of the sort of reaction that Kurt Music got. Well, I mean, that's it. I thought that, I thought that Busiek's reaction was incredibly measured i mean there's nothing much more than i mean even the hickman thing where he was like i picked it up it's not my bag and it really struck me as poorly told in this regard in that regard i mean you know no but you know you know that there's going to be blowback in that yeah somewhere even if it doesn't get to kurt you know that at some point someone is going to have upset about that about him saying that Right. I think he is not on the train. And it's kind of sad that that's the way the industry works, but at the same time, every industry kind of works that way. Well, that's it. Every <laughs> industry know? does work that way, yeah. I mean, I I, I made it a... a it, it is, you know, almost painful The how hard I try not to talk shit about aspects of my job, of my day job, um, because 90% of the time, I love my day job. But the 10% that I... that, that frustrate me if i start talking about it on the internet that's the only oh yeah that's the only part that'll that'll be seen exactly that's the only part that that will be paid attention to ultimately and so yeah i think this jeff is why we're never going to get jobs with marvel or dc yeah i i it wouldn't surprise me there there were times i mean god bless the the moments where like you know when i sat down to to pitch a story to mark wade and i was like Jesus, I hope that I whatever <laughs> I shit that I said say. about Mark Wade, yeah, exactly. Do you see the Wade Harvey Awards? Yes. Uh, Wasn't that, that interesting? Fascinating, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. I really want a transcript. I want someone to put a transcript or a recording online. I, I want to hear exactly what he said because yeah. I think if it's what I understand what he said, he's entirely right and that's not going to go down well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, no. I, well, actually, I mean, it's it's really what he what he's saying is is I mean, it it's two factors. I guess my my thing that I'm I'm fascinated by is is that is it, the context seemed to be that Wade was very specifically talking about copyright and the idea of things entering the public domain are good for um are good for the industry as a whole, you know, and and is good for the, good for whatever art form as a whole. And I think that's a brilliant point. Um, You know, it's kind of funny that of course, to, to switch it from the idea of like comics moving out into the void or what have you, the, the thing that's really rough is part of what makes people follow the things that they follow is the fact that Superman is not, public domain or that mickey mouse is not public domain although they should be i mean you know but what boom publishes there's a chunk of it that are characters that are you know corporate owned comics like there's like people hide like ip is being protected by copyright in a way that is kind of frustrating and and unfair 
And I think that Wade, it seems to me what Wade was saying very sensibly is change is coming and change is going to happen and we're going to have to figure out another way to do it. And because it's going to happen anyway, that makes a lot of sense to me because I think ultimately in the future there there may be an idea of like, you know, nobody is hardly one-tenth of the people that are, are reading Irredeemable are buying Irredeemable. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, the idea being the more people reading Irredeemable at whatever price they pay makes it more likely that everyone makes their money when Irredeemable the motion picture comes out or Irredeemable the trade paperback comes out or Irredeemable the TV show launches on AMC or whatever it is. And yet, weirdly, that's still tied to IP that's protected by copyright in a weird way. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? Well, it like, is and isn't because I think by the time you're getting to the TV show and the movie, yes, it's IP that's protected by copyright, but at that point it also becomes cost because I don't think so many people are going to... I don't think multiple you're going to get multiple TV companies trying to make Irredeemable the comic book at the same uh, Irredeemable the TV show at the same time. Right. Um, whereas I think I think you could get to an argument where multiple people are trying to print Irredeemable the comic book at the same time mm-hmm. because it is cheaper. Um, I think, and I might be misunderstanding Wade's point, but I think it goes beyond that. I think it's something to do with the more people that read something the more it is read, for want of a better way of putting it. Yes, exactly. They're getting work out there that people create so that their work is seen. Mm-hmm. And that copyright serves a purpose to a point, but there comes a point where when you artificially extend it past that point, you're reducing the number of people who can experience your work. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And I, no, you know, I, I, may, I may be actively misunderstanding or, or passively misunderstanding what he's saying, but it's it, more than protecting IP, more than anything to do with making money back. I think it's, you make your work to be seen, you make your work to be experienced. And right. all copyright does is prevent people from seeing that. And technology is helping people circumvent that. And work is being pirated because people want the work. That I, th- I think there's an, an audience input level that is there that is not ignored, but almost disregarded in an attempt to protect a piece of the pie. And that, sure, Mark loses money for every issue of Airdy Mobile that is downloaded. Or doesn't, maybe does not get money as supposed to lose his money. But more people read it. And I think that's, that's a larger point, for one of a better way of putting it. Yeah. No, I, 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 I agree. Um, and it'll be, it'll be really interesting to see sort of uh, to what extent Wade clarifies his opinions as time goes on, to what extent those things, the things that he say, what he says, actually what that, if it has any sort of meaning for boom, you know, in the future, um, it'd, be, it'd be very interesting. I think Wade has... I mean, he's not Ed's turn chief anymore, don't forget. No, that's so, right. He, he's But he's like COO. He's like chief operating officer, isn't he? No, it? he's chief creative officer. Oh, chief creative officer. Okay, yeah. I'm sorry. Right, right. Um, so, you know, I, I don't know what that will mean for Boom. But it'll be interesting because I think that Boom is both small enough and hungry enough to make some sort of leaps other companies wouldn't make. So we'll, we'll see. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I hope so. I mean, I honestly think that, um, well, I don't know. I, I I think that there's a lot of ways forward. It's it's interesting because I feel like Boom's library is so like recent and so 
um, narrow uh, in, in a way that it would be really hard for them to turn around and basically say, okay, everything that we have in stock, you know, everything that's not in print, we are currently going to be making available free through our reader on iTunes or whatever they end up doing, I think would be very hard for them to do in a way that wouldn't just kind of hobble them at the knees. But on the other hand, I think that if you had, you know, both DC and Marvel could probably offer huge, huge amounts of back stories on their characters for a very super minimal price and begin the process of essentially re-educating the public so that at some point there, you know, more and more people are like, oh my God, well, I don't even know who this Green Lantern character is, but everyone says that he's okay and I know there's a movie coming up and I can basically read, you know, 30 issues for free, maybe I should read them. I don't know. You know? Well, I mean, the whole thing is, they, to an extent they are. Comicsology puts a certain amount of free material from DC and Marvel all the time. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it, it's interesting. I, I'd love to see figures, and I don't know if figures exist, on how much that feeds back. Right. If, if you put Sandman 1 up for free, which I seem to remember DC did when they launched it, mm-hmm. how many people bought Sandman 2? Right, exactly. Well, I can say, and this is going to... A is anecdotal, so it doesn't matter, and B uh, would hobble the figures further. But I do know that I picked up Astounding Wolverine and X and Spider-Man by Jason Aaron, number one, which was free on the Marvel Comixology app for like mm-hmm. a week. Mm-hmm. And I bought the second issue on in the store based on that. Um, on the other hand, that's the sort of thing that I sort of am kind of conscientious about, I guess. One thing, another thing that I noticed was... When the first when the first issue of Grant Morrison's JLA was free, I downloaded it, and when the next the three parts of that White Martian arc were ninety nine cents, I bought the rest of those. Mm-hmm. And then when they went up to one ninety nine, I didn't I didn't follow through at all. So who knows where that will go? Um, I don't necessarily even think that they should be free. I just think that if if like all the Steve Englehart or Jack Kirby Captain Americas were available on the Marvel Comicsology app for ninety nine cents a pop, they would be getting horrific amounts of money from me because every time I stayed up too late and had a little bit too much to drink, suddenly <laughs> their coffers would fill right up. You know what I, I mean? I, I meant to tell you last week. Have you seen they're doing the Captain America Kirby omnibus? I think somebody mentioned that. Maybe, was it you? Or I, uh, I'm it, really it, strongly tempted to get that. Yeah, I don't yeah, know. It's, it's all of the stuff. It's all of Kirby's um, second run in Captain America. Oh, holy shit. It is so tempting. I mean, I've bought that stuff. That would If I did get the omnibus, and I, who knows? It'd be like the fourth time. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Because I bought it when it came out. Some of it I've rebought on eBay. Then I ended up buying a lot of those overpriced trades, sometimes when they're on tr- on, on sale. But part of me is like, you know, if Captain America Bicentennial Battles and his annuals were in there, it, they are. Oh, I wish you hadn't said that. <laughs> should we should we move on to yes, the, let's, let's move on to the Nets because James has put up two questions now. I know, I know, and I'm like, I gotta get to him. Like, God, oh, God okay. bless them for actually first, replying. First one, the Vertigo imprints. Do you think we'll see more or less or about the same amount of projects under its banner in the future? See. And what's great is I'm totally sure that's a question specifically for you. So I just get to listen. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, I think we'll see less and in different formats. 
I think they're going to move more towards original graphic novels, and I think that's something that is entirely the right move for them. Interesting. I, I, I think as you see more things like Air and Unknown Soldier get cancelled, you're going to also see things... I, I think you're going to see their spaces replaced on the periodicals with spin-offs of existing uh, writers or existing characters. I think we're going to see more fables. I think we're going to see more people from the Bill William school of writers uh, like Matt Sturgis and Chris Robertson mm-hmm. do work for them. Um, and I think the fact that, I mean, I think in the last three months they've had Dark Rain, Cuba and there would have Israel coming out as original graphic novels. I mean, it feels like they're doing at least one OGN a month now. Right. Um, which I, I might be wrong, but it feels like it's a ramp up of their OGN program. And I, I think it's I think it's the way they should be going, especially now that I'm not sure if this was official or just someone catching Karen Berger at a, an off moment in San Diego. She mm-hmm. pretty much admitted that DC Universe is taking back their copyrights and that Vertigo's purpose now is to come up with original IP. So I, I think the more that happens, I don't think we're going to see in periodicals. I think we're going to see it in OGNs. I, I'm, I'm going to split the difference here because I think on the one hand, you are generally a much savvier uh, uh, analyst of the industry and you're better informed than I am. But I kind of get the feeling that, that interestingly enough, as opposed to where they were about two years ago, I think that Vertigo is finally starting to hit its stride again in terms of figuring out how to launch their um, new titles. That the, I, would, that... I would love to agree with you, but then I look at the, the first of all, how many of them cancelled within two years, and secondly, the sales. Well, I think that some of the sales for the longer things have dropped, but I think, for example, I, I think Unwritten seems to have launched pretty well and launched well off of the, the $1 first issue, didn't they? Um, I, I, I look at things like, well, Unwritten's a weird case. Unwritten's Mike Carey, who's got a name. Yeah, but uh, he, it's, did, it's, he had a name for Midnight Children, which which was limping along on half the sales um, that, that, that he's seen on Unwritten. Um, I, well, I think that well, the one dollar launch has been good for bringing it. I don't think Sweet Tooth. I think Sweet Tooth would have been dead in the water by now if they hadn't had a, a that one dollar launch. I really like Jeff Lemire, but I would not bet that Sweet Tooth is going to make it to third year. Mm, yeah, you might be right. I think Sweet Tooth, like Madame Zanadu, like Air, like Unknown Soldier, is going to die somewhere in issue twenty five. Mm. I, I think. I honestly think. Vertigo can afford to keep those books going for two years, and then they just have to buy the bullet. I mean, in the last few months, Air's been cancelled, Unknown Soldier's been cancelled, Greek Street's been cancelled, Manazanatun's been cancelled. They are yes. calling the periodical line. Yeah, but, well, yeah, I suppose. I mean, I, I, mean, I, I would... What's, I would con- what's continuing in terms of periodicals? Jack of Fables, Fables, Unwritten, Sweet Tooth, House uh, of Mystery, iZombie, right. and Hellblazer. That's it, right? Hellblazer. Well, isn't isn't DMZ like continuing? Oh, yeah, but it's yeah, supposed D- I, to wrap? I always think about DMZ. Yeah, DMZ is continuing. Yeah, and is I, is Northlander still, or is it wrapping soon, or was it canceled? I I actually no, I think Northlanders might be continuing. I'm yeah. I'm sorry, Brian Wood. I completely forgot about you. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think what Vertigo does successfully in terms of launching new books is not only the one dollar launch, but the mm-hmm. very quick trading of the first arc and cheap. Right. That they're putting them out in nine ninety nine is really smart, and that they generally do it within a couple of months of the, the last issue in the art coming out. 
is a great idea. Hibbs, Hibbs now, as you know, Hibbs disagrees with you on that, and I, I'm not sure where I fit in with it, frankly. I can see his points as a retailer, but I think as a reader, mm-hmm. it's better. Mm-hmm. I, I, under, I totally see his point as a retailer, mm-hmm. but if I have heard something good about the new vertical launch, I didn't pick it up. It's an issue four already, and I look and see the, is- the trade of the first five issues comes out with issue seven, and right. we make the trade. Well, but, and this is his thing, is, is people then just jump straight to the trade. I, he, his thing is is that if you give us more time to A, sell our back stock and order our back stock accordingly, you'll have a stronger issue orders and things will last longer. I'm not sure I don't, if that's... I don't think that necessarily follows because it means there's longer, there's more single issues that people are not even having the chance to buy because they don't right. have the start of the story. Yeah, well, um, let's put it this way. I think that I think that I can see the point to having a f- the fur trade out like a bullet, and then having a good long period of oh, time. Oh, yeah, I, I entirely agree. Okay, I, I think we'll split the difference there, and who knows? Maybe Hibbs would agree with that, or I think his thing is is that back in the day, the quick trade um, was good. But it feels that ultimately it's come to to, to work against Vertigo. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, I don't know. I mean, he seems happier with the $1 issue and a few other things that are the attempts to try and get people in at the ground floor. Um, and uh, so we'll see. Maybe he's happier with that short trade. Um, well, what I thought was going to happen with Vertigo is... Even the thing, the vertical line is a dog. I I, I, have, I have not liked one book from Vertical Crime yet. Uh, and I, it really upsets me that Minx was essentially killed for Vertical Crime because I like the Minx books and I don't like anything with Vertical Crime. Right. Um, and also I feel that Vertical Crime has been given, and maybe the sales are much better, I'm not sure, but I think Vertical Crime has been given so much more leeway than Minx was. Yeah. Um. But I think you're going to see more vertical books not including the strong genre element that it used to. Which I which I think is yeah, that I think I and I'm I'm okay with that. Oh I'm I'm happy about it. I yeah. but I mean you look at things again like Cubar, Dark Rain, Israel, they're not supernatural books. Yeah, no. Or I, you know, look at losers. Losers isn't a supernatural book. Uh yeah. Yeah, that's 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 very true. And um or TMZ or yeah, there, I think I think the, the, the the more they are tasked with coming up with new ideas, the mm-hmm. less those new ideas are going to be supernatural based, which makes me incredibly happy because it also means less they're likely to be fables and or Sandman ripoffs. Yeah, well, I think the the problem is, unfortunately, as those things seem to quote unquote work, you know, um, thank goodness we have something like Why the Last Man, which was such a huge success, which was was not supernatural fables is enough to where i can see them kind of you know rubbing their hands together and going well maybe this still works i'm shocked that madam xanadu ever got greenlit in a way but that's just me i guess i i think honestly if once vertigo has if they still have the same amount of manpower and they're not required to come up with three repositionings of old DC ideas per year. I think I think it's I think that's a good thing 
Yeah, I, and I, I'm maybe misunderstanding, but I, I was under the impression that the fact that DCU is taking back so many of the characters implies that they will not have that role. They'll, right. Their role will be coming up with something brand new. What I would yeah. not be surprised to see is that role going to Wildstorm. Oh, interesting. Wow. That would be very, very interesting. Because I think Wildstorm right now is pretty much without a purpose other than due to the licensed books. Yeah. Well, there's licensing books, and then there's the very strange creator-owned thing that seems to sell 8,000 copies that nobody reads. But it's almost like it's some other weird form of, of like a, a very low-key, under-the-radar IP generator, maybe because people are looking back at the amount of money that they made doing the Authority or mm-hmm. Planetary or something and went, well, we've got to do something like that that's worked it, for us it, before. it astounds me that wildcats and authority are still being published i mean it genuinely does because it, it those kinds of relaunched so often oh and yeah they I, have I, no value I, I think they have completely i mean i the world's end arc mm-hmm. uh, i thought was actually an interesting thing to do mm-hmm. the fact that they're still mining that now when i think it's done i mean i i, I genuinely think that you can only do so much with, well, Earth is fucked. And I think when you head into the third year of it, I, I think you're done. I really don't think there's many, there's much else, there's anywhere else to go. You know, at least they haven't changed direction again, which I think counts for something. But, I mean, the problem, I mean, seriously, the problem with, oh, no. with well, Wildcats... Wild, Wild really, yes. I was going to say, Wildstorm really has a problem with just like, and this month, here's our new start of the universe. Exactly, exactly. At that point, I'm like, really, like, wild comics are like, I don't know, you know, German currency right before World War II. Like, there's like a wheelbarrow of of Wildstorm comics that roll up to, you know, your feet. And I'm like, no, I'll just take this Tiny Titans comic book right over here instead, you know? Because honestly, okay. they're all priced at 99 cents in, in, the, comic, in the DC Comicsology store. And even people like Christos Gage, who I know are um, talented craftspeople, I'm still, I'm just like, I can't, I'm not picking up those books. I'm okay, just here, not. here's my question. If, as is rumored, DC moves to the West Coast, right. do you think Wildstorm is still going to exist as an imprint? I, <laughs> what, the answer is if Jim Lee wants it to. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, do you think if it does, it's because of anything other than Jim Lee? Um... Uh, yeah, at that point, I'm like, you know, Jim Lee is a dude where obviously the, their faith in him, the amount of goodwill that he engenders, just getting him to do a, a cover or a design or whatever makes them think like, I I feel like Wildstorm is like this little, is the Jim Lee vanish, vanity publishing project. Yes, yes, you know? I totally agree. And it's kind of sad. <laughs> It is. I mean, it kind of is. I mean, on the one hand, it was awesome when it walked through the door, um, you know, 10 years ago, and it had, you know, Alan Moore's ABC books, and it, you know, it had Planetary, they had John Lehman, an editor, and Scott Dunbeer. I mean, no offense to the guys who are there editing now, maybe they're awesome and don't have the resources that those guys did, or maybe they don't. But I do feel that there is, one of the sad things about it is, for better or for worse, whatever leash they have isn't really enough to isn't long enough for them to be able to get away and do something that's going to draw any sort of attention um but i don't 
I I don't know, you know, so I think, but on the other hand, I think whatever it is that they have set aside for it, the, you know, $250,000 a year or whatever that that is the Wild Storm budget or something, I think they're like, eh, it's, you know, that, that's kind of like a Jim Lee retainer that we have on there, you know, um, I, I think at a certain point, honestly, they might be better off if Jim Lee decided to close the Wildstorm imprint and opened up another imprint that would have no Gen 13 and none of the associated tiles, not even the authority, and for the first three years was just seen as original, all-new IP, I think that might have a, a better idea, you know, have mm-hmm. have less of a taint to it in the marketplace. Yeah, I think right now Wildstorm is through almost no fault of their own poison. Exactly. Exactly. The the whole like Wildstorm doesn't sell because Wildstorm doesn't sell, you know, is it, it, it's it's not it's it's a truism. It's not even slopsistic at this point. It is general it is genuinely the case. And the only way to get that out of the equation is I think you know to close I, Wildstorm down. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Close Wildstorm down, wait a year, and then relaunch it with, you know, some sort of amazing, super, like, ooh, ah, you know, integrate factor, you know, where they sit, you know, and and Jim Lee walks around going, like, this is very much what I want to do, and blah, 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 blah. And then, if they're smart, they do not bring back anything that has been a crutch for them for Wildstorm for, like, the first two or three years, you know, preferably three to five um, but you know, we'll we'll see what they happen. On the other hand, I don't think that I think that Jim Lee's kind of like, eh, you know, like I kind of like having an office that I can come in and poop in. Like I feel really uncomfortable pooping in the house because you know the f- floors are always so nice or something. You know what I mean? Like who knows what the what the real factor is? Like you know, Jim Lee's like I have to have a place where I can play poker that has to be tax deductible. Therefore, the Wild Storm offices will always be open. I don't know. <laughs> what a horrifying thought. I know. Isn't that sad? It's just... Oh, uh, God. Okay, James's other question. Yes. Top five the... Comics, the, comics at the moment. Comics only. No graphic novels, trades, or manga. Ah, oh, fuck you, James. I said, I love you. <laughs> fuck you. Okay. Go. Uh, oh, why do I have to start? You're the okay, guy who's, like, reading more stuff. Well, it's about Day Tripper. Right. Um, I'm trying to think what I'm reading right now. The Lone Ranger, bizarrely. Okay. The the Dynamite Lone Ranger, which I was, again, rereading this weekend and just absolutely fucking adoring. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Thor the Mighty Avenger is the best superhero book that Marvel are putting right now. Uh, have, you, have you read? Yes, yes. I, I read and loved the first two issues of that. Yeah, I, that was fantastic. Sonny's art is just... Yeah. Wow. And, I mean, really, it, it's one of those, why is this man not the most famous man in the world and beloved by all? Because it's it's so good. Yeah. Um, and yeah. Rob, Roger Langridge's uh, writing is great, too. It's top-notch stuff. Yeah, I, I really, really enjoy that. Yeah. Let's see, that's three, right? I, mm-hmm. I literally cannot think what else I am about. Oh, you know, Action Comics. Action comics, okay. I'm gonna say action comics, and I'm tempted to go really bashing with my last pick, and I know I shouldn't. So I no, I think no, you should. I mean, this is five, and it's of the really, moment. So. I'm really tempted to say Justice League of America, but I know it's shit. <laughs> no, but really, no, that's I, okay. I, I know it. I genuinely know. I'm no offense, to Jim Robinson, who I think is doing 
such a great job in horrific circumstances but the reason I say I know it's shit is because he's been on the book for something like a year now and he's got to finish one story without interruption right and also he's had he keeps on having his cast pulled away from him I mean it's it's, I told you that in the midway through the first storyline there's actually a double page break where they lose half the cast (laughs) did I not tell you that no okay so when the first trade comes out which I'm sure is pretty soon um, so the, the first, I'm going to say three issues, are the team getting together. And they're very blatant about it. It's like, it's Green Lantern and Green Arrow, and they're the old school guys with Black Canary as well. Right. Uh, and basically what happens is the original new team Titans join. That's essentially the setup. Donna Troy joins and she brings in Dick Grayson, Batman, Starfire, and Cyborg. Mm-hmm. And they have... What is pretty much the start of a story? They go and investigate something. They have a fight at the first point where they investigate it. And then there's a double page spread where the characters basically like, so then Starfire left, and so did Cyborg, and Green Lantern left, and Black Canary left as well. Uh, <laughs> and then like it cuts to there's four characters in the book. <laughs> they're like, I mean, literally, they're like, uh, okay, I guess we've got to start the characters. Oh god! Oh my god! I <laughs> I would pay the, the story that starts in like that story just does not get followed. Like there's at least six issues after that where they don't even touch on that story again. Oh my! And the story god. the story that starts is great. It's essentially um, evil new gods are stealing something to crush the multiverse into one universe. Uh huh. But you know, I will I will read that. That is right. completely DC to me. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's like Orion's been replaced by something called the Hunter, and Light Ray's been replaced by something ridiculous. I think it's Neon Black or something. His name is. Wow. Uh, and there's like an evil Barda, and there's an evil Mister Miracle, and there's an evil Metron, um, and they are stealing things to essentially build something that will break down the walls of the multiverse. And this storyline, like, so Just League gets built and then falls apart in double page red. And then it cuts to the, the the characters going, we built something to crush the multiverse. Hooray! And then the next six issues, maybe five issues, are the Justice League, Justice Society crossover, which has nothing to do with it. Oh, shit. Absolute, really? Absolutely How can they not- do that? Um, unless it, unless it's like um, Jimmy it's, Olsen it's, falling it's, into the river. Yeah, it's it's, like... I think it's partially it's also partially um, killing time until issue fifty. Oh, I see. Um, Was well, killing time with a whole other story, but this other story, this just like just decided crossover, is the first story that Robinson got to begin and finish. Wow! And he's been on the book for like a year. Oh, that's terrible. That is terrible. Uh, but despite that, it's incredibly readable. Wow, that's and also, impressive. Despite, despite Mark Bagley's art being the worst Mark Bagley art I've ever seen, which is entirely down to the inking. Mm-hmm. Because he, um, he and Robinson did both Justice Society and Justice League for the crossover. Wow. Which I thought was a really smart way of doing it, having one mm-hmm. great into the whole story. Yeah. And Bagley's inked by two different people in different books. And the difference in the art <laughs> is amazing. Yeah. Uh, uh. So yeah, it's 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 been a really rough ride, but at the same mm-hmm. time, 
in a weird way, it feels more like the Justice League book I grew up with from the seventies and eighties than it has done since since then. Wow! Just just thinking back of all the other Justice League books, yeah, it's, it feels most like Justice League from my youth since I was young. Wow! <laughs> Let me a, ask that, you. That's going to be my fifth. But okay, do it. That's good. Uh, what were your first two? That's how bad my memory is. Like I have uh, Thor, Day, Action, Day, JLA, Day Tripper, Day Tripper. Uh, and Lone Ranger. Ah, and Lone Ranger. Thank you. All right, just so I have that down. And if, now, it, if it had been slightly like if he'd asked the question like a month ago, I would have said the Buck Rogers book that um, Dynamite were doing as well. Oh, really? Um, I Which forget. I, I really loved, and apparently lasted a year and get cancelled. <laughs> Who was writing that again? Was that um, uh, Scott? Uh, What's that? Scott Beatty? Also yeah, Scott Beatty. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he's he's a guy who needs to get more work, actually. Scott. Uh, I'd say that, but then I read his um, Last Phantom from Dynamite, which I really did not like. Ooh, interesting. interesting. In fact, I have it here beside me, and I will tell you exactly the, the point where I knew I wasn't going to enjoy the Last Phantom. <laughs> Page one, panel one. <laughs> Is a drawing of um, African tribal men painted um, hitting a tree log with sticks, and the caption reads, "They call it the Jungle Telegraph, and it warns of impending doom." Wow! I know, really. At that point, I was like, "I don't really think I'm going to like this book." And yeah. Actually, it's fascinating. You really liked um, Unknown Soldier. Read the Last mm-hmm. Phantom, which is like Unknown Soldier, but trashy. It's like, it, it honestly is like someone read The Unknown Soldier and thought, what if I do a pulp version of this? Right, right. Which I, I can see someone making that mistake in a way, but oh boy. Oh. <laughs> that is, uh, that I will have to keep half an eye open for that. That's really terrible news. Um, okay, well, before I leap into my choices, can I tell you a New Gods related thing? Yes. Oh, but before you do, I'm going to interrupt just while I'm still remembering. Did you yes. read Batman 802 or 702? No, I haven't. And oh, I was st- the most Grant Morrison, the most Jack Kirby Grant Morrison caption ever is in that. Ah, shit. Damn it. Yeah, I was. I was thinking of asking you what you thought without, you know, in a spoiler-free kind of way because uh, it's really ballsy. Interesting. It's okay. really ballsy. It makes. It completely goes along with everything else he's been doing in all the other books, and I think it might end up being essential for... It's definitely essential for Return of Bruce Wayne. It might be essential for all of his Batman stories. Interesting. Interesting. I, I really enjoyed 701 a lot. Which like, I, I haven't read. I completely missed 701. Really? Oh my yeah. god, I'm surprised. And I yeah. can't find it now. You <laughs> see, <laughs> do second printing, please. Please. Yeah, no kidding. Um, I'm still waiting for a second printing of uh, Return of Bruce Wayne number one, I guess, which I don't There have. definitely has been a second printing of that. I thought there wasn't. I thought I missed no, it. Maybe... I, I, have, I have seen one. Ah, fucking Hibs. Uh, no offense to Hibs. He probably, like... <laughs> well, the, what website is this going up on again? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, oh, beloved mighty leader, uh, chairman of the revolution... Uh, no, 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 no. I mean, I mean that because I was super late on jumping on that train, and I've got no I, one to blame I, but me. I you know what I mean? I'll buy, buy one and send Oh wow! Well, in that case, uh, they, I will. They definitely have a lot um, in this caliber down the road. Oh, interesting. Well, I'll see if it's the same case for seven hundred one. In which case, I will do the same. 
Okay, we can start. Uh, there we go. But yes, it's um, if you haven't read Seven Two, you should because the I really want to just spoil it. But um, the conceit <laughs> is very Morrison, very not Batman, and essential for Return of Bruce Wayne. Right, right. Interesting. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I'm, I really am. So. Uh, I, I know the very Kirby caption when you get to it because I... it's almost parodic. <laughs> That's really exciting. Damn it. I wish I had spent all day like painting a damn ceiling and, and had run to the comic store. But but this way, if you, if you read Final Crisis and you thought, what is going on with the Batman Dark Side moment? Right. This issue explains it. Yeah, that's why I'm looking forward to it because I kind of got the sense that was going to be the case. And even the how does he get the gun and blah, 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 blah. Yeah, no. I'm well, the, the, the gun is very important. The bullet, much more so. Oh, right, because of the bullet. Yeah, okay. That, uh, say no more, true believers. Uh, say no more. Um, yeah, I, I actually had, uh, b- before I move on to my five, what I wanted to tell you was, and I wish I had mentioned it last week. Uh, but I, I sort of dismissed it as like, oh, this is just going to be lame-brained. And, you know, the new gods have, you know, after Final Crisis, the new gods are more or less put to rest or tucked away in Earth-51, and I'm more than okay with that. Uh, but I had this idea while reading Final Crisis of, like, wouldn't it be great if it turned out that all of the new gods, that that the fourth world characters were essentially kind of well maybe this wouldn't be a great idea um no no uh you asked to answer the question yourself that was well no 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 no. because i what it was was i realized like oh my god this has actually been done a lot sort of but but let me just go with it where essentially it you turn it turns out that all of the new gods are in fact the dc characters that that it turns out that through a weird time warping that, you know, although there's always been that whole idea of like apocalypse and new Genesis were part of when the old gods clashed and everything fell apart. And, you know, it's very strongly points to it's, you know, Kirby after Thor, you know, and Asgard and all that sort of stuff. But in fact, it ends up being for these story purposes. These are the characters that, that happen after essentially the DCU falls apart and ends up at ends. So Light Ray uh, is essentially the Flash. Um, And I don't remember who else I had doodled out for the Pantheon. Big Barda is Wonder Woman and Darkseid is Superman. That his Omega Rays are the perversion of... Superman's heat vision and x-ray vision and at some point he's become because he's like a a yellow sun he basically collapses in on himself he becomes like a a a a, a, like a a dead star version of Superman and that's dark side and so what they end up finding is, is the DC heroes in confronting the new gods realize that they're looking at themselves at what they become later and have to fight it and stop it that is kind of awesome. It's, yeah, it's 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 the the dark side Superman thing that really sold me. Well, yeah, that was that was the one where I'm like, wow, that would be really cool. And Superman just being like, what? No, that sucks. Like, I don't want that. You know, and... <laughs> that'd be awesome if that was his response. <laughs> that would be a great one. If you're like, hey, what? No. <laughs> talking about Superman very quickly. The um the Colin Salmon 
blog that I mentioned before that I, I I'm possibly misremembering. I know his name's Colin, and I'm completely blanking his his last name. Right. Um, has a wonderful reading of the JMS Superman that I know is not going to be the case, but if it was the case, would make me read the rest of the JMS run. Interesting. Which is essentially Superman is a victim of post-traumatic stress disorder, and <laughs> it, no, it it's like it actually works and is being a dick and is walking away from everything without realizing that he's doing it and there that it is not a bad writing of a character it is an purposeful writing of the character out of character right to show and and then to bring back in why he's out of character that's interesting is this the guy that rich johnston was yes, had talked yes, about recently yes because yes. he quoted a paragraph or two that was about the batman torture porn stuff and i yes. was like Unfortunately, that particular paragraph left me entirely cold. So he's, I was he's, like, um, he's a really interesting writer. He, his ideas are great, and I think he overexplains them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but he, I, honestly, if while I can understand that you might be turned off by the writing itself, mm-hmm. it's always worth reading. And I've only discovered him in the last week or something. Uh-huh. Uh, it's really worth reading him for the ideas. His, his take on Miller's books in particular, I, think, I find fascinating. Right. Yeah, there there was something where, of course, that was the big lead in. And I was like, um, yeah, this sort of felt I, I kind of dismissed it as as Rich's way to, you know, discreetly show for Miller all over again. So I was kind of like, yeah, whatever. But if you if you said good things, I'm more than willing to admit that I I am occasionally a judgmental doofus and uh, will go back and. Well, no, because because I I will admit that I too there are times where I'm reading him and thinking I'm not quite sure, but this is written. His ideas are amazing. Well, that's that's great. I'm more than happy to hear about that. So yeah, I will I will try and hunt him down. Um, and unfortunately, I can't actually find the the article so that I can say his make sure that we get his name correct on the. Yes, um, no, I I am now trying to find the same thing as we talk. Hey, oh, okay, I've got it. I've got it. I've got it. it yeah. Colin Smith. Colin, Colin Smith. Smith. I've been calling yeah. him Colin Salmon for all this time. Who's probably someone else entirely. Let me look up who Colin Salmon is. <laughs> 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 sort of like some picture. It's an actor, Colin Salmon. <laughs> 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 uh, okay. Anyway, your five books are. Oh shit! I should have spent more time like trying to make a list while I was stalling. Um, okay, my top five of the comics out now: uh, Walking Dead, definitely. Um, Brubaker's Captain America. Uh, interestingly enough, despite always complaining about it, um, Grant Morrison's Batman title, whatever it happens to be. Uh, oh, I, should, I should have said that one. I completely forgot that one existed. <laughs> I I want to say criminal, but you know it's kind of technically it's not being published at the moment. But whenever it's well, being it, published, it it's yeah. So I mean, it's kind of like I, I'm 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 going to go criminal with that, and then what? It's only it's only two. I mean, admittedly, I am. I mean, that's like that's forty percent right there. But of course, I'm reading so much manga and other stuff. Yeah, that's um, like I'm I'm mostly these days reading trades. Manga and trades, and then I'm going to I'm going to give the the fifth up for. I really liked what Jason Aaron did in a big trashy way for his 
Wolverine um, Adamantium Men storyline, and I really, I don't think they're perfect, but I think that the the um, the astonishing Wolverine Spider-Man, the first two issues of that have been relatively enjoyable. So, pick number five is going to be a Jason Aaron title yet to be determined that is not scalped. So I'm I'm going to go with, uh, let's see, like his first issue of Wolverine comes out this week, Wolverine number one. Okay, so you're, Maybe, going, to, you're going to say that, sight unseen. I, I'm going to say sight unseen, because, simply because I can't turn around and, and pick 20th Century Boys by, by the rules that have been laid out before me by James Massett. Damn you, James. Curse you. So... Yeah, so I think I think that that would be my five, but definitely, I know that Walking Dead, Captain America, and Grant Morrison's Batman are the ones that like. If I pick up a whole bunch of books, um, oh, I'm sorry, no, I'm going to scratch that. Sorry, Wolverine, because this does fall under James' rules. King City, totally fucking. Oh, King I completely City. forgot about King I City. I know yeah. exactly no, because sorry, I. King- King City, you can completely shit all over Justice League because I actually legitimately love King City. Exactly. Exactly. Actually, that, so that's, that raises the question. Is King City like late or have I just missed some issues? I feel it's like it's been a really long time since the new issue of King City. Yeah, I feel that way too. But same, same I, with Joe the Barbarian. Is Joe the Barbarian late or is my sense of time just really screwed? You know, I have to tell you, I am like two or three issues behind on Joe the Barbarian because I just ended up not I picked up that next, the, like the third issue or maybe fourth issue, and I just oh, dragged my feet. Join my club. I really didn't like second issue, and it took me a really long time to read third and fourth. Okay, all right. A that's... really long time. <laughs> well, that's now, now good that to know. Oh, now that I'm looking up, it apparently did skip an issue because it has seven and eight both going on sale in September, according to the website. Ooh, okay. Well, King City 11 is going to be in comic shops this week. Uh, it's certainly going to be in comics experiences. Hey, in that case, I might have missed issue 10. I will have yeah, to... you, I think you did. It's the photo cover where she's holding the sock monkey. Oh, no. No, I have that one there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just it it seems like a really maybe it's slightly longer than it than a year ago uh, than a month ago you, or something. It's slightly ago. shorter than a year. It'll give you that much. <laughs> I, I, as I'm looking at the Vertigo site, I've also remembered that American Vampire is actually up there for me. I really like the first five issues of American Vampire. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Interesting. And again, it's something that I didn't realize how much I liked them until I read them in a uh, grouping. Mm-hmm. But it's also American Vampire Six comes out in the ninth, and American Vampire Volume One with the first five issues. This comes out in the 29th. Hmm. American Vampire, I want to say, is actually hardcover, so I'm not sure I'd... I'd, I mean, I liked it, but I'm not sure if you're undecided. Yeah, it's it's $25 for five five issues. Yikes. Yeah, that makes sense that they do a hardcover, because I'm sure they're... Because libraries seem to like hardcovers. I picked up a lot of... hmm? As one who gets lots of books out of the library, I prefer getting hardcovers from the library. Just because when I get paperbacks from the library, they're generally in terrible condition. So I, I think there's a weird... Because some of the books that the San Francisco Public Library has, to me, it only makes sense that they got them because they're hardcover and they're kind of pretty. Like that Superman Return of Atlas, that was done as a hardcover. Gorgeous Alex Ross painted cover. Wow, what a crap story that was. Okay, um, a Jim Robinson story that doesn't have an ending. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I he sets a bunch of stuff up, but I mean, it's really bless his heart. Like it is a classic Silver Age Superman trope. 
dragged out to excruciating length and then peppered with... Again, that's something that pays off way down the line in the Eucrypton thing. Uh, wait, which part? The, the yeah, whole Atlas, Atlas stuff, yeah. Basically everything in that collection is a setup from Eucrypton. Oh, apart, okay. apart from crypto stuff, but everything else. Yeah, yeah. I, which I, I you, you know, you might have guessed. I'm just mm-hmm. guessing. But um, yeah, it's, it's there's so much of it is not uh, complete in and of itself. Right. My my, which I was okay with for the most part. My main problem was just that it took something like three issues of them being punching each other before Superman goes wait magic and i'm like oh three issues like what this is the sort of thing that you know in a mort weisinger story he figures out on like page eight and then he has to make jimmy olsen like dress up as a sexy harem dancer to like distract atlas so that he can like grab the magic gem and get his power back you know just just excuse me i have to write a letter dear jeff lester this is the second podcast in a row where you've mentioned jimmy olsen as a transvestite is that something you want to tell us <laughs> Love Grim. <laughs> Sorry, what were you saying? <laughs> oh, right. Well, as I was saying, Jimmy Olsen as a sexy, sexy harem dancer, right? He has to, like, get in, and he's got to do, like, a little dance, and he's sort of embarrassed, and he's wearing a translucent number. Like, So what you're basically saying is, the bit before where you're talking about Flickr and their safe search thing? Yes. It's Jimmy Olsen you're looking up. Wow, look at the time. We have been on this call for well over an hour. Hey, uh, I, before we go, because we actually have been on this call for well over an hour, I have to tell you, talk of the Bible, I got um, Jeff Loeb's Hulk. I got three clips of Jeff Loeb's Hulk out. Uh, I sat through them. I thought, I'm going to catch up in the Hulk. That time is never coming back to my life. <laughs> actually, did you see where um, one yes, of the comments... Yes, it was like, I'm so glad you talked me into trying it. Here's the thing. I still believe the the uh, first collection of Hulk is really good. And the second collection of Hulk, slightly less so. The third collection of Hulk is astounding in its pointlessness. It's actually astounding in its pointlessness. If you, if you have a chance, Jeff, and it's hardcover, so it's probably at the San Francisco Library, get out the uh, Defenders vs. Offenders collection. It's amazing. It's got Ed Guinness art, which means it looks lovely. Right. But... The storyline literally is three issues of nothing. (laughs) (laughs) I'll get right on that. Can can I tell you what the plot is? Please do. In the past, when uh, I think it's the Grandmaster steals Jarella, the Green Hulk's miniature girlfriend, Mm -hmm. he apparently, unbeknownst to anyone, made a deal with the Hulk that he would let the Hulk get three teammates uh, and fight... The collectors, four villains of choice, um, to get Jarella back. The Hulk traveled through time and, oddly enough, chose the Defenders. Who who would have known? They go up against um, the Red Hulk, Tiger Shark. Um, is it Baron Mordo? Mordo? Yeah, it must be Baron Mordo. Um, and Terex the Tamer, uh, who are the collector's selection of bad guys. No reasons given why the collector has chosen these bad guys. Well, yeah. Other than Hulk. other than Submariner fights Tiger Shark, Baron Mordo fights Doctor Strange, Silver Surfer yeah, yeah, fights yeah, Terax. But yeah. but no, that's why Jeff Loeb shows them. There's no reason why a collector shows <laughs> Red Hulk, no joke, goes on to kill all of the rest of the characters. Okay? Because Red Hulk is 
Jeff loves Mary Sue. I mean, right. he's saying, yeah, yeah, he yeah. goes out to kill the rest of the characters, all of them. Mm-hmm. The Grandmaster then says, well, that's no fun, and brings them all back to life. The end of the story. That's it. You know, the worst part is, apart from the the Red Hulk, Mary Sue angle, I I loves me some Grandmaster. Like, seriously. Okay, here's if I could if ever was, write a comic series... Mm-hmm. If that was an annual, it'd be great. For sure. three issues? What the hell? Yeah, but... Yeah, no, I agree. On the one hand, I totally agree. Because it sounds... I'm like, oh, God. Because, of course, it doesn't do anything at the end there. No, it does, it does absolutely nothing. Apart yeah. from show you that, again, the Red Hulk can do whatever he wants. Right, exactly. So, I mean, that's that's the part that's that's kind of appalling. That being said, I have to say, if there was any book that was a total waste of my time uh, that I would pick up, apart from the adventures of Jimmy Olsen, Harem Girl, uh, I, I, w- I might actually pick up that issue of that, that thing of Hulk. Not, not, you know, knowing that it's going to be terrible and pointless, but A, it'll be educational, and B, I have such Wait, a soft spot. For how will it be educational? Where is the education? Dude, you told me to pick it up. Why did you do it? Are you just trying to waste my time deliberately? I don't, no, I'm t- trying I tell to you, the benefit of the doubt. nothing happened. <laughs> <laughs> you learned something from the experience. <laughs> Graham, I think I see where you're going with this. The whole like, oh, you know, I have suffered. Therefore, I think it would be really interesting if you too were to suffer. Uh, it's um, oh, I, I actually got the dance collection as well, the um, Hulk versus X Force collection, which is fascinating to see Ian Churchill reinvent himself as Darwin Cook. <laughs> wow, no, that's no, kind of interesting. I, I'm not joking. Look at the art. <laughs> really? Mm-hmm. Huh. I would. I, you know, the thing is, is but, I like uh, when I say Cook's when enough. I say like Darwin Cook, like the surface of Darwin Cook, without mm-hmm. the underlying theory. Yeah, see, that's kind of. I'm sorry you said that part. I was hoping that you meant. I'm like, what? You mean he it's, pared it's down still his? Still much more attractive than his regular um, Jim Lee style. But mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, it's it's a, a surprisingly pretty book. But um, it's just really, really interesting to see him adopt that style, especially for the Hulk. Yeah, yeah, that's. It would be really weird, huh? Well, my goodness, you have a lot of Hulk on the brain, sir. Oh, well, I do after reading three collections back to back. I then washed my out by watching Mad Men for like four hours. <laughs> That's a really interesting lowbrow to highbrow transition. I really have to give you some credit for that. And I have Jeff to say again, watch Mad Men. Just catch up on Mad Men. I'm sure it's on iTunes or something. Or if mm-hmm. you subscribe to Netflix, as you were making noises about doing. I'm yes. sure it's going to end up on Netflix. Just, yeah, the season's really good. It's, you know, I, I it, really liked where they were building to it at last season, and it seemed like they were figuring out a way to make it lighter by the end of that, it's, actually. It's so. much lighter, but at the same time, the darkness is still there. To the point yeah. where every single time I see Betty now, mm-hmm. she's scary. Um, they've taken her to such, I mean, it's such a logical place, but such a dark place. Mm-hmm. And, and Dawn is... It's so funny, like, it, it's a very light show, and, and they've done, they've introduced sort of comedy characters who surprisingly do not great show. Right. Um, but, like, Dawn is in such a terrible, terrible place right now. Mm-hmm. But this mm-hmm. seems to be the destruction of Draper. Right. Yeah, I kind of thought that that might be where they were going. Kind of based, actually, on that, that, um, that really great teaser trailer that's kind of his disassembled life. I guess, you know, 
Um, do you know what I'm talking about? The I teaser not. poster. I, I, I didn't see any teasers for Batman this year. It, it was it was just a season teaser that I saw somewhere where it's like Don in kind of like his new office kind of thing, and he's like I think he's like holding a phone or something, but like the desk is kind of a shambles. His back is turned to us, and everything just seems like it's things are closing in on him and things are falling apart. And I felt that worked much better than the whole. Um, I think this previous season was him like sitting in the chair with the water rising or whatever. And I was like, nah. yeah, it's, it's, it's been really interesting to see the of the show. Um, I've been getting really fascinated just with that sort of reboot because, and I'm not spoiling anything, but Batman 702 mm-hmm. is a kind of reboot um, of the character. Wonder, you know... Woman, Wonder Woman's just gone through a reboot. Uh, mm-hmm. I think Mad Men's just kind of gone through a reboot, and the sci-fi show Eureka has just gone through a reboot, and mm-hmm. it's all chosen different ways of doing it, and it's it's kind of completely obsessing me right now. I'm sure there's something I can write for Techland about it. I've just got to get sure. it in my head. Oh yeah, the new reboot. Um, Chuck, right? Of course. I mean, that's a little out of the post, it's, but they it's, basically yeah, it's, did a reboot. Yeah, but their reboots are sort of. I mean, I guess, but for example, Wonder Woman, Eureka, and Batman all mm-hmm. involve. Uh, changing plans on YouTube. Oh, I see. Right. Okay. Then that that's completely different. I thought what I thought was interesting is Mad Men sounds sounds like they figured out not you know like how to retailer things, yes. but, yeah, I, but I, without I think, throwing I think everything out. I think that's probably better than saying it's a reboot. Yeah. But but they I, essentially they've got rid of things that don't work and they are concentrating on things that do work. I mean, right. for example, I really like Peggy this season, and normally I found Peggy a very annoying character. Hmm. Interesting. But Peggy, I'm now actively looking forward to when Peggy is on screen. Because hmm. that, that's one of those things that I thought they did so well with the previous season was kind of giving her enough great moments. I actually like the character a lot, but some of the moments that they had in the previous season were just some of some of my favorite moments ever. So, well, my friend, it's... Exactly. Yes. We, we have been talking uh, now for two and a half hours, which is yes. uh, a record for us, and we should probably... If only I think our wives are going to kill us. Absolutely. I fully expect to go out and pretty much dinner to have been eaten. Yes. Are are you going to be painting again tonight? I'm not. uh, Thank God. Because we Um, have um, housework to do. What? We are. um, We are. We're not painting. We are actually getting um, colored plaster put on our living room walls. No, seriously, it's clay. It's actually clay. No, no, no. I think I remember you you or Kate or somebody talking about putting clay on the walls or yeah, researching clay on the walls. Well, if it was researching, it would have been Kate. <laughs> and me at the time going, what? So it's kind of exciting for me to get that James Robson New Krypton style payoff of like, oh, walk out and go, they're actually putting uh, colored plaster on the walls. It's well, well, we are. Um, but because of that, we've got to tape everything up. So Because apparently it seeps into everything. So we're, we're taping and paper everything <laughs> out of the room. Um, and also we've got to spackle everything because uh, if we don't, it'll show up very unleavenly in the wall. That, that's what we're doing tonight. You know, Kate is amazing, a force of nature, and I love her. But sometimes I think you guys should just live in space. 
You know what I mean? Because <laughs> honestly, the amount of work you guys put into your habitat, I'm like, if it was a space station, it would make sense. You know what I mean? Like, it would be, like, completely functional in a hey, way. All but I'm the... saying is, when you come to your nest and you see this room with the fireplace and the shelves and the pl- plaster walls, you're going to be impressed. I, I'm impressed now, my friend. I'm just going to be, like, incredibly agog when I show up. And I'm like... I mean, I don't doubt that it's amazing and fantastic, but it really is like, you know, Kate's never-ending quest to power up your guys' residence. It always, like, it it inspires feelings of great awe in me. I was going to say, it is awe-inspiring. It's uh-huh. inspiring for me as well, and I live here in a part of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So I'm like, wow. I thought it was pretty great because we were like, hey, we painted a ceiling. And then, of course, talking with you, I'm like, okay, well... We still have some catching up to do. 